0: Hello and thanks for joining us again for part two of the episode with Dr. Mike Christmas.
1: Yeah, welcome back. It's good to see you all here, back for a second episode.
0: Yeah, so as you heard uh, last week, we started our conversation with Mike. Um, it was really fascinating uh, where we covered a, a couple of topics around t- uh, the disease model of addiction, and uh, we spoke a little bit about reward pathways and dopamine, et cetera.
1: And for this episode, uh, we go a little bit more into dopamine, but we also cover uh, alcohol and cannabis and things like that, as well as a little bit about meth. Uh, in WA so it should be really interesting.
0: Yeah and so Mike's got some really interesting insights into the the drug market and how prices have changed uh, particularly since COVID-19 happened Mm and there's been restrictions on people moving between parts of Western Australia and it's really interesting to hear how that might have impacted on the price and the availability of different drugs as well.
1: Yeah absolutely so listen on for the second half of the conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah
0: and you'll hear from us a couple of times throughout. (laughs) Cannabis is quite topical at the moment. There is quite a bit of cannabis reform in parts of the world and parts of the world where we wouldn't have necessarily expected it, such as the United States. Yeah, I also States. reckon it's
2: probably increased over the isolation as well. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so what's your view on, I'm assuming in the addiction space, that you can't really prescribe cannabis to try and treat anything. It's not. That's not. It's not approved for that at the moment. No, it's not. Um, so, for people who you know might come in uh, with a cannabis problem, um, you know, got dependence or uh, mm-hmm. meet the criteria, but they're maybe getting a prescription for uh, another issue under the current legislation, where they go to one of the approved clinics and they can get cannabis. How do you deal with something
3: like that? Yeah, so the, the the big difference is is if you look at cannabis, the plant uh, or hydroponic, uh, there's multiple different. Um, I'm, I'm probably telling you stuff you know I don't, I, don't, I don't. No, that's know. okay. No, it's good. But, uh, <laughs> you're
2: you're telling me stuff I don't know, so it's fine. <laughs>
3: there's multiple cannabinoids in um, or chemi- psychoactive chemicals or ke- sorry chemicals in in the cannabis plant, mm-hmm. and if and, and the main two are, are THC tetrahydra, tetra dihydra, Cannabidiol, or whatever it is, nine tetra something mm-hmm. And cannabidiol. Mm-hmm. Um, and the THC is the psychoactive component which will make people well, not not completely. It, it is, well, it is it is one psychoactive component. And that is the one that will make people um, lose touch with reality mm-hmm. um, and have either nasty psychotic symptoms or nicer psychotic symptoms. Um, and CBD is the one that ameliorates things like anxiety and those psychotic symptoms. We have our own CBD receptors, and anandamide. I got that right? I think it's anandamide. Okay. Oh, it's embarrassing me now. No, that's okay. I think it's anandamide. <laughs> yeah, it is um, a fatty acid that's made in our body and is part of our body, and, and has been used um, to ameliorate symptoms of psychosis. So, essentially, the simple bit is CBD is sort of good. In, in that it modulates all these psychotic nasty symptoms that people have and particularly the anxiety. You know, some people will smoke cannabis for the first time and become very anxious, mm-hmm. panic, a bit paranoid and hate it. Mm-hmm. And other people become relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all a bit, bit different. But um, it's the THC that does that makes people anxious and feel horrible mm-hmm. and the CBD makes people feel better. Um, so, what are we dealing with with medicinal cannabis? We we in in most places we have legislation for the CBD to THC ratio. Mm-hmm. So there should be, uh, you know, I, I, I must admit I don't quite understand why there ever has to be any THC,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, because that's the reinforcing part right. uh, I should say too. THC is the one that releases is the part chemical that releases dopamine is, and therefore re- reinforcing. CBD doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Oh. So really having a CBD. Addiction is highly unlikely. Right. It's like having an addiction, I imagine, to an antihypertensive. It's, you know, okay. just, it's not going to happen because <laughs> um, it doesn't trigger the reward pathway. Yeah. Right. Um, why we need some THC in our medicinal cannabis, I don't know. Okay. But uh, but we should have high levels of CBD mm. and very low levels of THC, which is exactly the opposite of what we've got when we, um, when we do our seizures mm. of cannabis Um, Mm -hmm. In Australia, the THC component has increased markedly over the last 30 years, Mm -hmm. and the CBD content is getting less and less. Right. So in terms of Mm -hmm. treating someone, um, I would say they have two different problems. Whatever they use the CBD for, Mm -hmm. I would suggest, uh, and I haven't done this, but I would Mm -hmm. suggest the lowest content of THC possible, Mm -hmm. given the evidence for Medicinal cannabis, I'd probably say stop. Don't use it because yeah. I don't know. There's, if you haven't got yeah. paediatric seizures, and I don't quite I, I, right. I won't say because I don't really know. But there's 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 very few well established, um, you know, therapeutic indications, despite yeah. the fact the government has pushed forward with this so it's cart leading yeah. the horse, really. It seems yeah. to be driven by anecdotal
2: evidence. Yeah, there's mm. lots of stories mm. around mm. About yeah. how good it is. Because yeah. when they
0: run trials, I've not I'm yet to see a trial where the evidence is overwhelming. No, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, no. you
3: know, yeah, it seems to be very inconclusive. Exactly. Yeah. So. And so I would say don't use it and mm-hmm. then uh, let's deal with the stuff that's making you desire to sit over a bong for, yep. you know, 18 hours a day mm. and smoking mm-hmm. 40 times a day. Yeah. which is te- probably the reinforcing aspect of it. If we're talking chemicals only, and then all of the psychosocial stuff yeah. as well.
0: So, so on that note, what proportion of people come in for which types of drugs? In your experience, what are the most yeah, common? What's the most common, yeah, alcohol. most common, and
3: alcohol 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 alcohol, right? alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. And would you
0: say that's if, because it's so widely available, being being legal and, and regulated? <laughs> that's a big question.
2: Yeah, would you <laughs> it expect It probably that is.
3: Well, no, it, it probably you'd have. It's look. It's a it's a hard one because uh, there's very little regulation. I think with our, because I'm just mindful that the next question might be well. Since you've said that, <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your what's your argument yeah, about legalising substance? Something. I think the, yeah, yeah. the legalising of substance. The problem is there's there's so many. But one mm. is that one of the major social problems that the patients I see have is because stuff is illegal
0: okay
3: you know they get into these issues because it's illegal Mm -hmm. um we spend enormous amounts of money as we won't get into (laughs) that's another thing um and 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 people get you know disadvantaged because of their drug choices and it's very hard once you get tied up in the legal system Mm -hmm. to sort of you know really it's easy should i say to to get dragged back in Mm -hmm. i think uh, yeah, you know, you don't pay your fines, you, you know, you can't get to work, you drive your car, you haven't got your licence, so you get fined more and then you get jailed. And so anyway, um, so that's 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 one thing uh, is with, with the legalising of, of substances. It's 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 a problem. And then you go, well, look, if you think we have this enormous alcohol problem because it's legal, why would you legalise the other stuff? And so that goes to the next step of saying, well, alcohol is not really... It's regulated, but, you know, it's when you compare to it, yeah. it is. Yeah. Absolutely it is. And it's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. Um, we have a ridiculous taxation system uh-huh. in, in the Australian Australian environment, the, 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 the so-called um, I mean, wet tax, alcohol, the wine exemption oh,
2: yeah.
3: tax, which yeah. means that, you know, you can produce and sell four litres of wine for not, well, in some cases, if you buy Evian. Uh, water, if you if you like yeah. the fancy water, mm. you know it's more expensive than water. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, it's cheaper Cheap, than water. Cheaper than yeah, water absolutely. is more
0: expensive. Was it twenty cents a standard drink or something in some cases for some of the cask wines or something yeah. like yeah. that? Because That's we have point. no minimum
3: price, right? And minimum price in Scotland has, and, and other jurisdictions and York, Northern Territory has, has shown mm. to have bit, almost immediate impacts right. on on um, alcohol related harm. So uh, back to the alcohol. Um, If you look at most substances, uh, and obviously you can't quote an exact number because they all vary a bit, but roughly, very roughly, about 10% of people who use substances Mm -hmm. uh, regularly get a dependence. Right. So lots of people smoke cannabis, but not many people come and see me that are smoking 30 or 40 times a day and can't stop.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I just can't stop. I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. My life's falling apart. Mm -hmm. Please help. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people can smoke a couple of joints, presumably, uh, right. Given that thirty something like thirty six percent of Australians have smoked weed in the last year, mm-hmm. um, so most people can smoke a couple of weeds at, at a jo- joints at night and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very similar to alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. most people can drink a couple of drinks on the weekend, yeah. or even binge, mm-hmm. uh, which is not good for another reason. But, but <laughs> can binge and then not come to me saying I can't stop.
0: Right.
3: Every time I have one drink,
0: I have ten exactly, yeah. or a
3: hundred. You yeah. know, I, I just can't stop. Yeah um so there's something distinct about the population of people that have that problem and we know that we talked about genetics just earlier mm-hmm. so getting back to alcohol yes it's widely available and therefore if you put the 10 percent mark on that mm-hmm. you're going to see quite a lot of people mm-hmm. when you compare it to to what's available with methamphetamine and opiates and stuff
0: yeah so alcohol's no more addictive one of a better word than any other drug. Not really. It's just that there's more people probably using it than any other drug for yep. various
3: reasons. For wealth, yeah, yeah. For, for political reasons. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, the, the studies range from 5 to 13%.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that was an interesting part of our conversation where Mike was talking about um, how many people who start using certain drugs end up having a problem with them mm. you know whether you call it addiction or dependence or whatever, whatever it is <laughs> yeah uh, and I, th- I think one of the things that's probably important to point out is that we don't really have great evidence about that do we
1: no no it's very difficult to find it, that kind of data um mm. you know there's there's lots of things that influence collecting that data itself
0: yeah yeah so we know the mechanism for how people get addicted we know that We were talking about dopamine and receptors. Yeah, we know what
1: happens, yeah.
0: Why people might find something pleasurable and keep doing it. But we don't know out of 100 people that start using a particular drug, how many of those people go on to have a problem with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult to ascertain that information because, one, we have to find out from the people themselves and a lot of people wouldn't admit that they have a problem um, or they might just not see them having a problem yet. So, Yeah. yeah, it's difficult to find that information out.
0: Mike suggested it might be 10% of people that start using something that might end up having a a problem with it.
1: And he said that was about, that was like on average of all different kinds of drugs, I think. Yeah.
0: That's right. Um, But yeah, so it's the 90% that don't (laughs) present with a problem. Do we know if they do have a problem and they're just not coming for help? Or yeah, is there something else going on? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: um, I think something really important to understand with all of this kind of research is that. I feel like, you probably know a bit better than me, but I feel like a lot of the research really depends on self-report and Mm -hmm. there is a lot of issues with self-report.
0: Yeah. 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 The only time you don't rely on self-report is when you're talking about really serious events like heart attacks or strokes or death even uh, where there are data on those things, but that is such a tiny fraction of people who use drugs that you can't really estimate you know, no. how many people are using based on that.
1: And even if you look at all of the, the nationwide or even Western Australia based estimates, a lot of them don't even look at addiction. They look at substance use because you can get a little bit more data on that based on hospitalisation data or on um what was the, the other one?
0: Oh, the, the treatment services, yeah, the treatment al- services, alcohol use. and other drug treatment service use, yeah. So yeah. you
1: can get some information, but in reality, a, a lot of the estimates that would have on addiction would just be quite inaccurate, I think,
0: yeah. And not everyone that um, is using or has a problem is going to get treatment, so you're going to be miss you know, uh, yeah. you're going to be underestimating the number of users, yeah, pretty much.
1: And then you've yeah. also got like all of the the biases as well. So if you're asking family members as to, is anyone in your family addicted? I'm sure there'd be some people that'd be like, yes, my son or my daughter is (laughs) completely addicted and they might not be. Yeah. yeah. So it goes the other way around as well. Yeah. Particularly. It depends who you're asking.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. we will get back to our conversation with Mike.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And it seems like drugs like cannabis are pretty widely available in Australia. Um, just from the evidence and the number of people that use them and whatnot, and so do you see a difference? Is is there any comparison to be made between how many people come in with a cannabis related problem? Is it disproportionately bigger or or less than?
3: Oh, we see we see in our inpatient unit. You know, you'd look at alcohol and then cannabis. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So they're the two leading yeah.
3: Yeah. ones.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And That's
3: if you go, I mean, we unfortunately we don't have good treatments for cannabis. Mm-hmm. so you know it's a so-called you know medicine doctor kind of you know tablet sort of person um which I, I, don't think I, am. <laughs> I try to avoid being that but yeah, yeah. but um, we don't have good treatment so the many of the cannabis patients that come and see us see counseling so okay. if you were to talk to Holyoke and serenian and my, my guess would be they see a lot of patients that have a cannabis problem mm-hmm.
2: are there tablets for alcohol mm-hmm. dependence
3: yeah
0: mm-hmm.
2: right okay
3: there's actually quite a
0: few treatments, aren't there, for, no, I've, I've, the name of them
3: uh, escapes yeah. me. So well, There's naltrexone. Yeah. There's acamprosate. Oh, heard that yeah. There's baclofen. Mm-hmm. There's disol- disulfiram or antibuse. Yeah. Um, and then, well, baclofen's off-label, but then there's others that are off-label like To tapiramate, tapiramate okay. which is an anti-seizure drug. and a number of other things that people try. The it's main baclofen. ones are Naltrexone and Acampras.
0: is a smoking treatment as well, isn't it? Uh, I know that's, um,
3: that's bupropion or Zyban. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and varenicline, otherwise known as Champex, which is mm-hmm. the main smoking one now, has actually been shown to have good impact um, or well, reasonable impact for alcohol use disorder as well. Okay. Um, and that's yeah that that may be i'll just say maybe linked to its impact on on nicotine receptors in the brain right. because we know that there's a, a fairly strong link between alcohol and nicotine mm-hmm. um in the brains and nicotine kind of sensitizes the alcohol pathway and then the other way around and so right. when you talk to smokers or drinkers they'll say you know i drink more when i smoke i smoke when i drink mm-hmm. yeah. everyone kind of comes as oh yeah i know they go hand in hand but we know a bit about the neuroscience of that now yeah um so yeah if renanolines are not potentially an option in the future okay mm-hmm.
2: and how many people then get addicted to the treatments
3: well no because what what you really need for a drug to cause uh, a, a loss of control use disorder is to to be involved with that reward pathway.
2: yeah so they don't do that so
3: if you, yeah, yeah they they don't they don't naltrexone mm-hmm. has no impact on the on the reward pathway but if you think of the process addictions for example um things look i mean I, I stress that dsm doesn't have a Yep. sex addiction diagnosis or, you know, um, mm-hmm. but people talk about it. But certainly, can you know, they've got the internet gaming one. Yeah, gambling. You know, gambling gambling use disorder, yeah. exactly. So mm. um, they all uh, fire up the dopamine yeah. pathway as well. It
1: gets a bit tricky, dopamine. Yeah. Yeah, um, because it is just like one part of... Everything that's happening in your brain, and we don't know.
0: And the brain's complicated. The reward system is quite complex, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So, like, we've talked about the reward system uh, a little bit in this conversation, but it's it's so much more complex than what Mm. we've covered. So, yeah, I thought I might cover it just a little tiny bit more
0: well you are Um, you're well qualified having a background in psychology you say
1: that but i have to remember back to it which is (laughs) a bit tricky so i've definitely covered it before but trying to remember everything that we've learned also progression of science like yeah it's changed so much since um i studied psychology Mm -hmm. however dopamine is something that has been researched quite a lot because it affects so many different things of your body so Um, I did find a bit of a list of all the things that dopamine can influence, uh, including your learning ability, motivation, even things like heart rate, sleep, mood and uh, pain processing. So it really influences all parts of your body. So if you're changing your dopamine levels and things like that, there's all sorts of problems that can happen particularly if you're using an external source like drugs. So dopamine is something that our body actually just creates by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a neurotransmitter, which means it transfers messages within the brain um, between cells. So that's kind of the main Thing that dopamine does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, like it occurs naturally. So we, we get dopamine by doing anything that we find fun or exciting or um, the original use was for survival instincts. So mm-hmm. eating, drinking, having sex, all those kind of things would yep. increase your dopamine levels. Um, when you bring drugs into it that can increase your dopamine levels uh, externally, okay. uh, there's... Yeah, lots and lots of different things that can happen. So essentially what happens if you keep on using drugs, the levels of dopamine in your body change and then your, your brain can't actually produce as much because suddenly you're taking it, mm-hmm. you're not making it naturally. So you get these like really big highs first time you take drugs then you mm-hmm. get really big low because your body's not making it anymore, okay. and then you keep on repeating that cycle, and you have to get more and more dopamine from external sources like drugs, and then your body just stops making it as naturally. Much. Yeah. yeah. So then that's why you kind of end up getting addicted to it as well because you're seeking that high that mm-hmm. your body would otherwise naturally make. Yeah. Um, yeah. So dopamine's very, very complicated.
0: Quite powerful. One yeah. Of those yeah. Things and might explain why people who start taking things like methamphetamine can quite quickly become addicted to it.
1: Yeah, it explains the highs that people would get from taking mm. taking different kinds of drugs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I had to say about dopamine. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, let's hear what Mike's got to say.
1: All right, sounds good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and if you go back to why we talk about the dopamine pathway in terms of evolution, you know, sex, food, um, other things that we should be Encouraging, encouraged to do to mm-hmm. keep our species going mm-hmm. and what do we get addictions in in certain populations i mean not everyone's addicted to food not everyone's yeah. addicted to gambling but a certain mm-hmm. proportion can't stop eating yeah. certain proportion mm-hmm. can't stop gambling mm-hmm. um so uh it's you know and, and sex same sort of thing so similar yeah. but yes the, the 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 drugs that we use um don't
2: yeah involve that makes sense hmm.
0: And so what sort of other services do you collaborate with or do your clients mm. kind of come to you at the same time as mm. in your experience? Uh,
3: well, starting with one, which is our, our version of um, coerced treatment, which is drug court. Yep. So coerced treatment not being mandatory treatment, coerced meaning you have a choice, you have a jail person. sentence or, yep. or, or treatment. Um, so we have... People come from there. We have people come from DCPFS, which is Department of Child Protection. Mm -hmm. Um, We liaise with, obviously, the the, across the road, which is OneGening, or used to be the um, Aboriginal Alcohol and Drug Service, Mm -hmm. uh, OneGen Corporation. So they treat as well, but we we liaise with them. Um, And then all of the um, NGO partners, uh, which are... Essentially, Serenian, Palmerston, and Holyoke. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all NGO alcohol and drug services. Um, they're integrated in our sites outside of here, which means their management service sits with our management service. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, by quirk of fate, East Perth is not integrated with mm-hmm. Holyoke or Serenium, which is why I mentioned to you outside that we have a couple of councillors come in yep. um, and use our rooms, but the management structure is not quite the same. Mm-hmm irrelevant really to practicalities but mm-hmm. um, not so much prisons, they're pretty separate um, okay. people that are discharged on opiate replacement therapy from prisons come to the community program for opiate pharmacotherapy and then often will get an appointment with us if there's not a community prescriber that's available okay it's sort of thin on the ground with community prescribers at the moment as well so yeah, they'll what, come what, to us. what's involved in becoming a community prescriber? yeah so it, it's simple be being a, a, a one-day um, course. Okay. Um, so a full-day course, and you are then can be licensed to prescribe methadone or suboxone. And it's GPs? Um, GPs, yeah. yeah. Or, or any, anyone with a, you know, if you're a psychiatrist and you've got a fellowship mm-hmm. in psychiatry or you happen to be in an emergency physician or, okay. you know. Um, if you're all pre-fellowship, so you're a registrar or a resident, we don't, we haven't, that, that hasn't been... Done yet? Um, mm-hmm. That I know of at all, um, and that's a one day. Or you can do a three day, three hour online course um, and be able to prescribe suboxone, okay. buprenorphine. Uh, you know, really, quite a fantastic medication. And it's quite sorry. It's quite safe. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite safe uh, compared to methadone. Um, and indeed, mm-hmm. in in the US, any primary care physician can um can prescribe buprenorphine or suboxone without any licensing at all right uh, same in france
2: it's funny because three hours is the same amount of time to get your um alcohol management license yeah, yeah. yeah. online yeah. course three hours That's so right. you can preserve yeah.
3: alcohol, yeah. <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> That's right. it's not <laughs> difficult really no. um and and that allows you to to have five people on your books on on a buprenorphine. Okay, you, know, you no. can't have twenty five, but you can have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: So that so the idea is to increase the number of people who can prescribe. Increase the, access. Mm. Yeah, studies as many people.
3: Studies one. say we're well behind uh, yeah. trying to provide enough access to okay. people with opiate yeah. problems.
0: Now, methadone is an interesting one mm-hmm. because there's quite a high risk period when people first start on methadone, isn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. So can you explain that a little bit in more detail? Yeah,
3: sort of. Our methadone is kind of. Uh, our version. Uh, sorry, our the methadone is our version of. Um, I, I like to think of it as our version of um, warfarin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> warfarin is is terribly sensitive to people, to multiple heroin. other drugs, yeah. Yeah. Um, to individual physiology. So, methadone, same. Um, the CYP four uh, hundred and fifty system, which is the enzyme system in the liver that metabolizes drugs, um, is impacted. so it impacts methadone metabolism mm-hmm. so there's multiple different medications that will interact and either raise methadone level or reduce it and like antipsychotic smoking mm-hmm. it changes your methadone level as well um, and then individual uh, differences uh, and then uh, not making good advertising for methadone um, there is no morphine equivalent uh, linearly linearly, so as you increase the methadone dose, the morphine equivalent actually goes up exponentially. So right. you have even higher morphine equivalents. Mm-hmm. So it's not the easiest drug to to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, when you titrating it, you need to keep in mind that your dose today will continue to increase in plasma levels over the next at mm-hmm. least three days. So its half life is quite long, isn't it? It is, wow. yeah. Which yeah. is why we use it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole purpose of opiate replacement therapy is to. You know, replace one opiate with another. Mm. <laughs> well, it actually, yes, but it's to replace a short-acting opiate, which you need to use four or five times or three times a day, to something that you can use once a day or mm-hmm. even twi- once every two days in the case of buprenorphine, yeah. and get on with your life. Right. Um, instead of just chasing it and using and chasing it and using it. So, yeah, methadone can be difficult in that way. Um, but having said that, we've got pretty tight policies in West Australia for how you would induct someone onto methadone, mm-hmm. and certainly we would see, that's what we call it, inducting onto methadone, we, we would see those patients or review them twice a week in the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't routinely offer methadone, particularly if people are also having other sedative medications, yeah. so alcohol, benzodiazepines. Yep. Uh, Pregabalin or Lyrica is another bad mm-hmm. one for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you need to be pretty careful when you decide. If people got, mm-hmm. you got know, liver failure, other comorbidities, um, sleep apnea, all those sorts of things that might make their sleeping Worse. off when, they, when yeah. they go to sleep at night. Yeah, okay. Um, having said that, methadone is known to keep we, – we, we've had it for 50 years mm-hmm. um, and uh, got a huge body of evidence to support its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And it does seem to keep people in treatment longer than buprenorphine. Okay. So buprenorphine is safer in induction, much, mm-hmm. but people tend to cycle on and off treatment, which is also not good.
0: Right. Because that strikes me that there must be a psychological element to those two treatments mm. that makes them different in their outcome, in that I think people, from what I've read, people feel the effects of methadone, and it's the, the pleasure pathway that you talked about, the reward pathway, whereas something like taboxone, maybe they're not getting that same feeling. And so they're likely to stop. They're not getting the reward. So they, they'll go and take heroin or, you know, they'll seek other.
3: Mm-hmm. I I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Um, so all, all we have is a fireside anecdotal chat.
0: Yeah, okay. But
3: um, methadone, I mean, the, the idea that I would like to make sure is, is clear is that methadone shouldn't really give you a buzz. Mm-hmm. um if you dose your methadone and you're on a stable dose and you're tolerant to that dose, what we aim for is that you're not. people are not thinking about opiates, that they don't have intrusive thoughts about mm-hmm. using um, and certainly not craving. Yep. Um, and obviously no withdrawal, you know, they're comfortable. So what they'll come back in and say is that I don't really think about it at the moment. Okay. Just sort of. I don't know why. I can't really explain it, but I just don't think just about don't it. Just don't feel like it. Yeah, I mean, it don't, yeah. Yeah, just not come across my mind. Yeah. Um, and, and they come in, uh, I've heard many examples of this, I can't watch a single, I can't even sit through a DVD. It's mm. all I'm thinking about is getting on and I hate it. All I want to do is just be able to sit and watch the TV. I don't want to get on, I don't want this problem. I just can't stop. Okay. And so when at 16 milligrams of Suboxone, and I've seen this a number of times, come back I'm not really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why, but I'm just not thinking about it. It's kind of weird. Mm. Yeah, it is. You know, A week ago you were like this. Mm-hmm. So it works, um, and, and methadone, getting back to the, the buzz, um, if you add benzos to methadone mm-hmm. or alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, we know that, that you know people report that that increases, the, gives them some sort of buzz feeling with it. Okay. What methadone does do as what we call a full agonist, mm-hmm. um, binds completely and activates the cell completely, is it does make people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So when you've got someone who's used heroin for many, many years and, and has that, he's very used to that. I suppose, cotton wool kind of comforting Mm
0: -hmm.
3: feeling. I'm careful not to say sedated because it's not. and You're actually allowed to drive. Ostrode's fitness to driving assessment allows you to drive if you're on a stable dose of methadone. But it's that comforting kind of feeling that they have that's vaguely similar to their heroin um, in that buprenorphine is very different. It's a different experience and and people are very bright, wide-awake, alert Mm-hmm. And, and don't really have any of that other feel. Okay. Um, but having said that, many people that have been on heroin for many years don't mind BIP. It's, it's okay. kind of hard to pick. Some don't, some do. Yeah,
0: okay. It's Very personal thing by the
3: sounds of it. Seems like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So there's obviously quite established treatments for things like opioids and, and alcohol now. Um, methamphetamine is a big issue in the community, obviously very high mm-hmm. rates as far as illicit drugs go. Um, what's your view on... The available it treatment options
3: at the moment. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah, no, no. Twenty-five years of research on on, on yeah. some or more uh, on on a pharmacotherapy to um, to help in relapse prevention has come up with virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's there's naltrexone, medafinil modafinil, dexamphetamine, bupropion, um, um, which is the anti-smoking medication. Yeah.
0: Uh, there's some trials going me- on at the moment. Uh, Liz, I think it's Lisdexamphetamine.
3: And, is- and methylphenidate are, yep, are right. the five yep. that, that have come up You know, with, I think the number is something like more than two RCTs R- R- yep. that they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and some promise. May not be reducing methamphetamine use, it might be engaging treatment more or whatever. Uh, yep, there's a trial on Lisdexamphetamine across Australia. There's a trial on N-acetylcysteine across Australia, multi-centre right. trials. Um, I don't know where the LISDEX trial is coming up. We may be involved with the LISDEX trial for the inpatient unit for withdrawal symptoms. Okay. Uh, In the experience that most countries have had with replacing amphetamines by using dexamphetamine, they haven't been very successful. The doses that, uh, anecdotally I hear, the doses that are needed are are really quite high and then then you end up with a problem with, uh, you know, because you can get psychotic effects. Yeah. from higher-dose dexamphetamine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, so that runs into problems. I don't think NICE guidelines, I don't think they use it anymore. I know they've used it in the UK without mm-hmm. research but used it. Mm-hmm. So um, fortunately, it's a disappointing area of pharmacotherapy for methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is when people put their hand up and say they want help and can come and attend an appointment, uh, which is a lot of gifts, Mm-hmm. Um, they do quite well, okay. and most of the studies that have talked about the two drugs—the trial drug and the you know, control drug—and mm-hmm. there's no difference. Both yeah. groups get better, or many of those studies, both mm-hmm. groups get better.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's because so, that motivation.
3: Well, I think that's that you got to have that. We talked earlier about yeah. you know there is a choice, yeah. but at the same time, just quickly, I'd argue that if you've got diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis, you need to have motivation to to stick with your treatments and do your exercise and those sorts of things. But, yes, Mm -hmm. there is a choice and motivation is important, absolutely. It's the first thing. But I think motivation but also engaging in a therapeutic alliance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we think, um, you know, turning up in this placebo trial, doing a urine, Mm -hmm. having an assessment at the start and then seeing the nurse for a urine each week or whatever it might be, even that level of therapeutic alliance seems to make a difference for meth users.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's not as difficult. The difficulty is uh, once treating, but the difficulty is, is engaging and retaining. Yeah. So engaging is very poor, about 10% in specialist services, right. mm-hmm. and retaining is terrible. In research studies, 30%, 40% are retained. Yeah. It's just yeah.
0: awful. And, and the effects of treatment often don't last Very long, even when people have completed some sort of a program, Mm. they go back to using within weeks, you know, sometimes days, Mm. just, it's very, and what, did you have any
3: theories about why that is, is it something to do with the brain chemistry, or is, is there some other Um, reason? Don't know, really, with methamphetamine, I'm not sure their relapse rate, I don't know that their relapse rates in methamphetamine are much worse than, than opiates, for example, Um, so I can't say that it is, it is worse. Uh, I think the retain the engagement in treatment, and retention in treatment. Um, uh, a couple of issues. One, well, you know, you, you, you know very well well, yeah. they eh? Published a very good paper <laughs> on barriers, which I have used. Yeah, That's Um good. Barriers <laughs> to treatment. Yeah, very good. Well, it's very little. Yeah, you know, it was really helpful to have that when we were trying to write that, um, write that um, uh, pilot program up, and we used that as part mm-hmm. of our. Um, uh, set up, set up here, but yeah. The, so the barriers of treatment have, have, have been looked at, and people don't get a, a terrible withdrawal syndrome.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Sleeping heavily and and dysphoric and mm-hmm. um, maybe a bit depressed, but most mostly um, anadonic. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of it. Yeah, you know, opiate withdrawal people will stay on methadone for many years because they're terrified of it. It right. won't kill you, but it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Alcohol withdrawal can kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and is awful, also very uncomfortable. Benzo withdrawal, very uncomfortable. So, um, you know, even stopping tobacco, mm-hmm. you know, irritability and, you know, agitation and anxious. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's one problem. That they're not coming to us saying, please help, please help. Uh, and most people go through a withdrawal episode every week anyway because they use for three or four days and then crash mm-hmm. for three days or so. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a different drug in that way, mm-hmm. um, and and it and it also releases. If you look at units of dopamine release, massive amount of dopamine compared mm-hmm. to to other substances. So it's highly reinforcing. Yep. Uh,
2: mm, and, highly we, and reinforcing with a lack of consequence <laughs> yeah. with the withdrawal, with,
3: with yeah. the withdrawal, and we don't have great treatments. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know they don't, they come to us. Well, you're going to give me a tablet, and and yeah. so you, for example, a matrix model. You know this is this is psychotherapy and you know um, mm. at one iteration of the matrix model which is 36 appointments, you know, outpatient appointment. You can't translate that to an Aboriginal community in the Northwest. No. You know, or, or even a community out in the eastern suburbs. Yeah. You know, people It's unrealistic. It it's that's what that's where
0: pragmatic trials are really important because you've got to be able to make yeah. it real world.
3: Mm. Like, can mm.
0: can this actually be delivered? Mm. Exactly. Because you, know, you can have an academic conversation about, yeah, in theory, these 36 appointments could make a difference. But mm. in reality, right. it's more like to be 3.6 appointments
3: that someone's going to... Mm. I feel
0: do.
2: like no one would do 36 appointments. No. Like even well, me, yeah. I just think of it like, eh, too much. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah. And, you know, expensive and
2: unwieldy.
3: Yeah. And so we don't have mm. great treatments. So that's the mm. other issue. Mm. Um, but I would say just to finish on methamphetamine, it's not... Net, we, we I don't know that we've established that we have... More a a large amount of more methamphetamine users. Mm -hmm. We have crystal users,
2: right?
3: And so, you know, the big difference is potency.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Speed or powder, about twenty percent pure. Mm -hmm. Crystal came on the market or came into the country around about the early two thousands. From the initially, we think the west coast
2: Mm
3: -hmm. uh, of the US. Mm -hmm. Now it's coming all many many places. Exactly. Didn't really pick up until about 2010. I don't really know why. Mm -hmm. But once 2010 came, and in in WA, we went from 50% of methamphetamine users saying they used crystal, so another 50% were still using powder, Mm -hmm. to three years later in 2013, 78% were saying they were using crystal. And that was the average in Australia was about 50% of methamphetamine users using crystal. Mm -hmm. We had 78%. Crystal is, as I said, it's more potent. You smoke it, so it's very, very quick. And AOD 101 says if you've got a potent substance, that releases lots of dopamine, and it does so very, very quickly. So it's intense and quick onset. It's highly addictive, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what. That's what we're saying is, is much more the problem. So what mm-hmm. RPH sees, what the courts see and families are seeing is people that are, and, and this is also uh, statistically shown in, in the National Household Drug Survey yeah. showing, people using methamphetamine that switch to crystal use more frequently,
2: mm-hmm. right.
3: more likely to inject, more likely to become psychotic.
2: So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the number of people using it that's increasing, it's, it's just, just the proportion that Are using a much intensity. more potent
3: form, yeah. yeah. And we haven't yeah. had crystal for more than 20 years, yeah. It's just it's oh, pretty so new, yeah. And so that's yeah. what sometimes your listeners might, you know, yeah, don't not realize. And yeah. it's it's true, We, you know, it's, it's high sort of uh, emotive stuff, mm. you know, the eds are full of people that are mad and tearing yeah. things down and the courts and everything else. But if you look at and, and even if you talk to older. Um, patients that i see oh you know i don't know what that's that crystal stuff is horrible i don't know what they yeah. put in that it's terrible stuff right i used to use speed back in the day you know we'd have a be up on the weekend have a nice time yeah. now you know i wouldn't touch case. that stuff it's
0: horrible
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. and so they even see the difference
0: mm. yeah because it seems to be quite dangerous in terms of people get that initial rush that you're talking about um but and then that subsides a little bit but the Toxicity in the blood is still very high. So the the cardiovascular
3: effects persist for longer than the euphoric effects. Yeah. So if you add to your dose to maintain your euphoria, then you add on the cardiovascular effects so the heart rate, blood pressure um, continue to to increase.
0: And then it can cause serious damage to the brain as well because the neurotoxicity levels keep going up as well. Mm -hmm. But you're not feeling as high. You don't think you're feeling messed up. But mm. Obviously, you're totally mm. unaware of how you're, how
3: you're looking.
2: And <laughs> mm. Well, I guess because your perspective is high up and then you're going down, so you yeah. don't realise. until. That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. But yeah, lots of, lots of physical and, and psychological harms as well. Yeah. Um, even so, you know, we always talk about safe using smoking versus injecting. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the patients that Fiona Stanley have seen anecdotally again with cardiomyopathy mm-hmm. um, or ischemic heart. Um, so, you know, coronary artery um uh, obstructions and sometimes dissections So the coronary arteries just ruptured. Mm-hmm. um they're often smokers mm-hmm. you know never injected only ever smoke okay so it's dangerous stuff. yeah okay. well, that's really concerning
2: i have a side question uh i can't talk exactly about my results so my phd is in cardiovascular disease i'm looking oh, for hospitalizations right, right, um one of the things that has been around in the research is that cardiomyopathy is increasing in younger people, so 25 to 55. In general? In general.
0: So I'm just going to cut in there, Courtney. Uh, there's a term there that has come up that I'm not familiar with. Um, can you explain a bit more about cardiomyopathy?
1: Sure. So uh, the reason why this came up is... um a bit interested in it in my research at the moment because it's it's come up as a factor that is doing unique things within our Western Australia data, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the younger age group. So, it was on the forefront of my mind during this conversation. So cardiomyopathy is a disease of the heart muscle that makes it harder for the heart to pump blood around the body. Um, but specifically the one that I was talking about, dilated cardiomyopathy, is the same thing, but the the ventricle, the bottom half of your heart, the muscle itself becomes dilated. So I almost kind of in my mind, I picture it as this, like, flimsy balloon rather than this big, hard muscle that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes dilated, enlarged, and it can't pump blood around the body properly.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, so that's what cardiomyopathy is, yep. specifically dilated okay. cardiomyopathy.
0: And does, is, does that happen because the heart's been overworked or is there, like, an inherent weakness in some people? or?
1: Yeah, so th- there's a couple of different things that can influence when and how and why you get cardiomyopathy. Um there is a genetic component. So as we've talked about before, there's disease models. So with this one, there is a couple of different disease models and there is definitely a genetic component. So there's there's four or five main genes that kind of influence uh, the structure of the proteins within your heart muscle mm-hmm. uh, and that can influence whether the muscle works properly or not. Um, but there are lifestyle things as well. So blood pressure influences it just like every other heart disease. There is... Um, and then, you know, age and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a huge amount of things that influence whether you get the disease or not.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Well, thanks for filling me in on that. No problem. That's very informative. <laughs> we'll go back to Mike.
2: Yeah, in terms of hospitalizations and mm-hmm. there's less uh, comorbidities and things like that. Mm-hmm. Could that be drug-related?
3: Well, you definitely <laughs> you, you definitely see methamphetamine cardiomyopathy. Yes. No, yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, um, mm. it's, it, it may be that it's limited, going back to our genetics, to uh, a CYP four fifty polymorphism wow. that potentially makes people slow metabolizers, so they end up. Well, no, so rapid. No, slow. So they end up with lots of methamphetamine in their blood. But um, uh, certainly, it, it, it occurs. Okay. It's, it's small. You know, you look at how many people use methamphetamine, how right. they get cardiomyopathy, but they're often young, yeah. so they've yeah. often got some sort of. Vulnerab- they must have some sort of vulnerability. But, yeah, um, when they've done retro- – what they've mo- mainly done so far is retrospective studies. So looked at cardiomyopathy turning up into the hospital yep. and then going back and, and saying, well, how many people are those admitted to using methamphetamine? There hasn't been a good – that I know of, a good study that looks at what level of methamphetamine someone needs to use or what population yeah. is, is okay. troubled mm-hmm. um, by, you know, and, and, and looking at echocardiography. So because we, we just see the end stage. As you imagine, mm-hmm. you're just going to see insects because oh, I've got symptoms now.
2: Yeah,
3: um, which is all too late. But I don't know of anywhere where y- you can see changes happening. Mm. There is a study that I did see uh, just recently on on acute use, um, showing that there was there were already changes in something in arteries or something. Uh-huh. Like. I just looked at the abstract, but uh, <laughs> sorry I didn't have time. But I seriously <laughs> yeah, no, looked at all. the abstract. <laughs> but um, yeah, acute use and, and yeah. immediate changes. So
2: okay. Yeah. That's
3: interesting. That's
0: from a methods point of view, that's the hardest thing about methamphetamine research is measuring dose because mm. you're oh, yeah. relying on self-report most of the time mm. because you can't ethically do a trial where you're injecting or, you yeah. inject them or <laughs> you getting, getting them to smoke meth for, mm. you know, six weeks. Yeah, I feel like self-report measuring. would just be yeah. highly unreliable. And, and, and getting them to return for follow-up interviews would be pretty yeah. difficult as well. Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 it's
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. That's why we... But we can't to, give up. Well, that's why we go to prisons to do research. Right. A convenient place to uh, interview people about drug use, obviously, then it wouldn't
2: matter as much personally, I guess.
0: No, I mean, they're pretty open actually, yeah, because they've been through the prison system, and so any kind of um embarrassment that they might have had previously has kind of dissipated yeah, at that. Everyone point already because knows it's pretty, yeah, undignified going to prison anyway, so they haven't really got much left to lose at that point, but yeah, obviously, you're relying on recall you know, about Mm. the sorts of um, drugs that they've taken and how much. But, yeah, we're we're almost at the end of our show Mike. Just one quick thing I thought we might want to mention towards the end is we've done a series that's involved talking about COVID-19 and how that's affected Mm. various parts of the health system. Mm. Um, Have you got anything that you've seen that's changed during that time? Uh,
3: Foundation for Alcohol Research and Educational Fair. Um, they published a, a survey saying that they'd, it was in the papers saying that they'd, they'd seen a, oh, I can't quote at the moment, um, excuse me, the end of the week, sorry, <laughs> that's all right. but um, some marked increase in uh, both alcohol purchase and alcohol use in the home okay, and concern about alcohol level use in the home by, mm-hmm. by um, people in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other kind of spectrum, that, that seems as good availability of alcohol, mm-hmm. um, our patients are anecdotally talking about, I think we'll, we'll get evidence from this from the needle syringe program or it's the injecting drug users survey mm-hmm. that they do at needle syringe programs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll come out after this you know, in the next few months, I think we'll find. But our patients are telling us that you know heroin's gone from fifty dollars a point to three hundred in some oh, places, sixty wow. um, yeah. percent, and that methamphetamine similarly's gone from fifty dollars a point or
2: less, if if you've got a good friend, to one hundred and fifty dollars a dollars a point. That just so it we, it we
3: right? don't know. Um, the guesses have been that in, in, internal border closures,
2: oh, so okay. driving
3: from the south to the north. Uh, I mean, obviously coming across the country. Ships and planes still get in. Um, right. People can still manufacture. Mm-hmm. Other people have sort of said, some of the other users have said, well, actually I'm hanging on to mine. I'm a dealer, but I'm hanging on to mine because I don't know what's happening. Okay. I don't know where this is uh, going to end.
2: Stuff piling like
3: yep. the 12 I'm, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. selling anything to you yeah. because I've got my bit and I don't know where this is going to go, so mm-hmm. I need to keep on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's driven prices up. Um, mm-hmm. And we expect that that's going to change, obviously, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we have had... Again, anecdotally, a few people coming up um, seeking treatment, saying, "I just can't afford it. I need, right. I need you, I need someone to put me on OST because I can't, yeah, I can't afford this anymore." Yeah, a couple of people came up from Albany, uh, no, uh, Esperance, Albany, maybe um, for detox or withdrawal, um, and said that they'd used dexy's dex- mm-hmm. dexamphetamine for the last few weeks because they couldn't access methamphetamine. Yeah, because that's the other thing, also, just access. Some people just, say, I can't access it, no matter how much it costs. I can't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so
0: do you think that that provides a bit of an opportunity for interventions to maybe be a bit more successful if people are motivated to, to stop because they can't afford it or because it's not of that? It can't would it? It will
3: do, and it, it will be interesting to see if uh, requests or treatment episodes have increased mm-hmm. um, during this period. We'll have a look at that, I don't doubt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, AIHW publishes those data, don't they, each year? Yeah, they yeah, do. Treat, completed treatment episodes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay, well, okay. I'd like to see from our service, you know, what compare our um, treatment episodes being opened, mm-hmm. not necessarily completed because of the, you know, we're talking about methamphetamine as it is. Yeah. Um, but opened compared to last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to add well, no, before we finish? No. no. <laughs> Thank <anything I> you. <laughs> done. <I thought. laughs> thanks very much for taking the time it's okay it's yeah, really great. nice to see you again My yeah so
2: much <laughs> it's been
0: uh, really good to actually speak to people in person because we've been doing it over Zoom. Oh, yeah. oh yes yeah. yeah it is better isn't it, it well, it's, is better. we found you had some feedback that it's just sounded a bit disjointed and not yeah, quite as cordial it's, yeah it's
2: so much better when you actually get to talk to the
0: person and see yeah. everything and... oh glad i could help yeah, yeah no much you. appreciated. it thank thanks you. very much was the second half of our conversation with Mike Christmas.
1: Yeah, all done.
0: Yeah, so thanks very much for listening and bearing with us over two weeks.
1: And hope you enjoyed this conversation that we did have uh, with Mike Christmas. He was a, yeah, a fantastic person to talk to and just so insightful about so many different things. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. really interesting.
0: It was great to get as much of his time as he gave us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and very busy man. <laughs> yeah,
0: and these episodes where we talk to people who are practicing in the community, whether it's medicine or psychology or whatever it is they're doing, are really interesting because obviously we're mostly in research so
1: and they, they can see it they actually see the people and they can they have a feel about what's happening in our community so yeah yeah it makes it all that more interesting
0: and so we hope to bring you a few more episodes like this hopefully that'd be yeah. great yeah all right well thanks very much for listening everyone
1: all right we'll see you next time speak to you soon
0: The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming.